from him who is a name above all names and from him who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, come all grace, mercy, and peace to each of you today. Amen. Well, here it is, Palm Sunday already. I mean, next week is chocolate Easter bunnies and hard-boiled eggs, right? That's what Easter's all about? No, but that's what the world's turned it into. And not much of Palm Sunday is celebrated throughout the world for that matter either, outside of the church world, I should say. There's people out there right now that have no idea why we're singing Hosanna and raising palm branches to the sky. But here we are, standing on the side of the road today with the crowds waving branches. And why? What is it that we're hoping to see? Perhaps we've heard all the great signs that Jesus has done, and we're sitting on the side of the road waiting for a great triumphant king to come riding in on a great stallion, mighty sword, hoping that he will work some miracle, however we need to see it manifested in our own lives. Well, he's going to enter. He's heading towards the cross. He's about to have his last meal, face his persecutors, be crucified. And yet it all seems so surreal right now. I don't know about you, but for me, this whole Lenten season has been kind of a surreal experience for me. I spent a lot of time in repentance, a lot of time on my knees before the Lord, a lot of time in pain and mourning at the loss of loved ones, hard conversations along the way, closures, a lot of time seeking God's grace and His mercy. Asking for guidance and wisdom, and most off, asking for peace. But along the way, I was challenged to ask this question. What is God like? What is God like? I'm not just talking about his physical appearance. I'm asking, I've been asked, what is God like? What is the nature of God? I mean, we do want to know what he's like, right? That's why we're standing on the side of that road waiting to catch a glimpse of him. Because we want to see him, we want to touch him, we want to feel him. It, it, it embodies our entire humanity experience. Our eyes, our ears, our senses. And so we're standing on the road to Jerusalem yelling, Hosanna, and waving palm branches. And as I'm asking that question, what is God like? I was challenged to answer it. To go find that answer to it. Because to be able to answer that question requires a full body experience. And I invite you today to ask that very question of yourselves. What is God like? And go and seek that answer. It may even help us to see what Palm Sunday is and isn't. Maybe even see Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem in a little bit different light. So what is God like? Why don't we start with the the human body, the physical expectation of God. I can't imagine that any one of us would imagine that God would have chosen to take on our forms, <laughs> to come into this world as one of us. And yet he did. But consider for a moment, you know that a 150-pound man is composed of about 92 pounds of oxygen, 31 pounds of carbon, 14 pounds of hydrogen, 5 pounds of nitrogen, 3 pounds of phosphorus, a little over a pound of chlorine, a little over a pound of iron, half a pound of potassium, sulfur, sodium, magnesium, and fluorine. It's a lot of gas. And then you consider all that gas flowing through our blood, but so does our blood, right? And the neurons are firing in our brains, 
and our hearts are beating, and our brains are processing, and they're thinking. That's a lot that God crammed into these puny bodies, is it not? And yet, this is how God chose to come, in the form of us. He so uniquely and divinely created us in his image, but yet we're human beings, susceptible to frailties, tempted by sin, living in failure at times. We live in a world full of disease and heartache, and yet our mighty king, our great big God, took on our form and came to us. Why? To share in our experiences, to embrace the struggles, and then to overcome them on our behalf. So let's ponder that question for a moment. What is God like? It's not just the physicality of him, his physical appearance. We need to understand what his nature is. And so as we're standing in the crowds, I can hear the voice of Paul calling out to us today. Calling out to us and asking us to consider to have minds like Christ. Now, Philippians, it's not a reading that's usually relegated to, to this time of the year. We usually find it around January sometime. In this reading, you don't see a triumphant entry of Jesus on a donkey. There are no waving crowds, you know, and shouting hosannas and all that stuff. No, but this is more of a hymn. Paul calls us, have a mind in Christ. Not that we can rationalize him, but so that we can experience him and know what he's like. And therefore, go and be like Christ. In this hymn, there's a transformation of likeness. A transformation of Jesus in the form of God to Jesus in the form of man. And more directly, not just in the, in the form of man, but in the form of the lowest kind of man, a servant. Think about that. What kind of God does that? What kind of God humiliates himself into our forms and goes and serves people? Certainly none of the pagan gods. None of those Greek gods would do that. None of those Roman gods would do that. Of course, they're all false gods anyway. Only our God, the true living, breathing God, would come to us draw near to his people, and be like us to a point, to a point. And so the word, the Greek word here used to translate form in these verses not only means an outward appearance, it means the, the likeness, the nature, the essence, and the being. This suggests then that Jesus enters into our human frailty, that he embodies our entire experience. He empties himself fully. He gives up all that's right to him. All those divine powers, when he could have stopped any one of those things from happening, he gave it all up to suffer like us, to walk in our shoes, to be a servant. Caused me pause on the side of that road today. I'm not sure what I was expecting to see walking down that road. I'm not sure what I was expecting Jesus to do to me as he came into Jerusalem today. I certainly wasn't expecting him to see him sitting on a colt, a workhorse, so to speak, riding down a dusty road, knowing what he's heading towards at that. How many of us can say that, that we would head towards the cross if we knew how we were about to die? How many of us could raise our hands and, and take on the form of a servant and allow ourselves to be beaten and whipped and spat upon? Ah, it's easy to play armchair quarterback, isn't it? But until you're in that position, I'm not sure that any of us can honestly say that we would fully embrace it. 
So emptied, Christ takes on that and goes to his place in pure obedience. And thus being in the form of a human, he humbled himself even to the point of death. There is a difference between humbling oneself though and being humiliated. You know what that difference is? Humbling oneself is being obedient. It means giving up those things willingly, right? Being humiliated also takes an obedience and a willingness. Being humiliated, though, is not saying I'm going to humiliate myself and do those things that humiliate myself before the world. Humiliating means allowing yourself to have others humiliate you, and that's what Christ did willingly. I wonder if we would allow ourselves to be fully immersed in humanity the way that Jesus did. We're certainly immersed in aspects of it, right? We're certainly immersed in aspects of our lives in the form of of sinfulness. We certainly embrace that. We allow our anger to come out, say things and do things that humiliate others. We allow our brains to cause false logic in how we order our lives. We make God less of a priority in our lives and other things more of a priority. We seek wealth and status and power above God. And I go on and on in all the ways that we fully immerse ourselves in sin. But what about being fully immersed in the sense of understanding the plight of our fellow human beings? Because not everybody here is in the same social class. Not everybody here is in the same economic class. Do we not sometimes pick and choose who we're going to serve based on assumptions of, that we have of other people? Do we tend to serve others when we stand to benefit from it? Of course we do. And dare I say that none of us could ever really understand what being a servant of Christ is. Because if we did, we would understand that it's sacrifice. It's willing and minus complaint going about doing what Christ would have us do in humble and humiliating ways and not being selective. So in our gospel lesson today from John, there are some Greeks who came seeking Jesus. They want to put their eyes on him. Perhaps they've heard what Jesus has done for others. Now, we don't know if they successfully got to see Jesus at that point. Maybe they joined us on the side of the road today. But from the first chapter of John, Jesus has been inviting people to come and to see We know that that changes now. From this hour forward, things are changing. Jesus no longer comes, says, come and see. Now he says, come and be with me and live with me. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. Jesus knows where he's going, what kind of death he'll face, but more importantly, he knows why he is doing it. How many of us would like to know what kind of death we would face? I often say that I'm not afraid of death. I might be afraid of how I'm going to die. God, if I have my way, I don't want to go on a fire, and I don't want to drown, and I don't want to be in a car accident. Do we not name those things sometimes? Of course we do. Would you sacrifice your life if you knew how you were going to die? Or would you run and hide? Throughout history, we have seen people lay down their lives for others. This last week, I had the pleasure of being with my son and 39 other hormonal eighth graders in Washington, D.C. on a trip. And one of the places that we got to go see was the Vietnam Memorial. And there's all these names listed on there. And my son's class had to to pick a name off that wall and had to write a letter to that person. It was a biopic of the person, but they were also thanking the person for their sacrifice. 
Ironically enough, my son drew a name, James L. Sims. That was the name that was on the wall. This person, their sacrifice, they threw themselves on an explosive device to save others. And I sat there and I wept, looking at these memorials and all these names and the sacrifices that they had made. And I thought, man, these people laid down their lives, and yet I can't even put Jesus before other people sometimes or other things in my lives. It's pretty sobering. We may not always have to sacrifice our lives in that manner, but we are called to give up our lives in order to prioritize Christ and to be what Christ is about. That's having a mind of Christ. And Lent, Lent's a time of reflection, confession of sins, of repentance. It's a time to return to God, to renew ourselves and make room intentionally for God. It's also a time that when we do such, we experience his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Emptied of ourselves and full of God, then we immerse ourselves fully into humanity to serve all of humanity, not to our glory, but to the glory of God. So standing on the side of the road today, waving palm branches and shouting hosannas, what are you expecting to see? What are you hoping to experience? Not only that, but after Christ passes by, what are you going to do with your life? I pray that we don't stand on the side of the road or turn the other way. I pray we go after him down that road. We take up our crosses doing his work. Through it all, tending to the broken, the needy, the poor, the sick. Because to do so glorifies God. To do so serves the one who serves us. And to God be all the glory. Amen.